Hey man, please be seated. Well, Kenny, thank you for beautiful prayer. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it so much. I hope many of you have an opportunity to kind of stand before to offer the prayers of the people. And uh, so be prepared. You're allowed to be asked any time. And uh, if you want to volunteer, feel free to do that. I don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, I, ex I expect all of us uh, to be a about spiritual formation and growth. And anybody that's been up here and done things like that, how many, know how many knows you grow through that? How many knows that? How many knows it's hard? <laughs> oh, it's not for me, but it's, it's kind of it's, it's kind of who I am. Uh, but uh, thank you. I remind I remind you about the revival coming up. You know, the only way this church will ever have revival, it's going to begin in us. It's going to begin in each and every one of us. That if we pray for revival, is not about the other. It's not about them. It's about us being set on fire. For Jesus Christ and as, uh, as somebody attributed to Wesley one time I don't know whether he said it or not if there's this debate about that but he said people will come to church just to watch you burn and uh, so so let's uh, let's be in an attitude of prayer for the revival well, let it begin and let it begin in me amen, amen. I want to remind you of your commitment to pray uh, you many of you have Many, if not most of you, have put at least one name or a family in this box up here. Uh, I, that box has not been open to my knowledge. And, uh, and I want you to be reminded of your commitment to pray. And I, I'm expecting this church to be completely full uh, throughout that revival time. So let's, uh, let's pray and make that happen. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And Frank, tell us the name of that group again. I, I have, I'm going to get it publicized here real soon. The name of the group on Monday. Holston Harmony, that's one group, and I hope to have some more. They'll be here Monday evening to share, to share music with us, and uh, we're going to have some other special music besides. That's all being worked out as I speak, so, uh, so thank the Lord for that. I'm looking for a big-eyed time in the Lord. Uh, you're going to love Brother Earl and his wife Carol. They're uh, special people, anointed of God, and I just uh, I look forward to, to them being here. 1986. There was a movie called Ruthless People come out. Anybody remember that movie? Ruthless People. Pretty good movie. Danny DeVito, he's that little dweeb of a fella, little short guy, married to Bette Midler. And they were very, very wealthy. A poor couple uh, kidnapped Bette Midler and she began to try to get ransom from DeVito from her. And uh, they started with a great big number, a couple million dollars or whatever. And DeVito said, no, I'm not going to give that. They made their demands and basically DeVito said, no way. And finally got down to a few thousand dollars. And De DeVito wanted her dead. He just, he just didn't want her back. And Bette found out about it. When Bette Midler found out about that, and the, the kidnappers, her and the kidnappers teamed up to set out for revenge. And the story had a pretty happy ending. Bette Midler came home with new friends, the kidnappers, and her husband was bankrupt. So uh, Bette, Bette Midler didn't, uh, didn't like the fact that her life was worth so little at least to DeVito's anyway. And I guess we all like to think if our family or spouse would, somebody would kidnap me or kidnap my wife that we wouldn't really haggle over the price. If we, if we had the money, we'd just pay it. And the point of that story is, I think sometimes it's just okay to be extravagant. I think that's precisely the story this morning. The Gospel of Mark is about, remember, remember the story, Jesus is on his way to the cross. 
Just a few days before Passover, the, the chief priests and scribes, they're, they're plotting against him. Judas is about ready to betray him. The cru crucifixion is less than a week away, and Jesus knows it. And they stop at Bethany just a few days before. Jesus, if you remember the great story of Lazarus being raised from the dead in Bethany, they're having dinner, and Jesus comes in and, and does a and, and uh, Jesus does a, a beautiful, extravagant thing is done for him as as he comes to dinner. And the Gospel of John tells us that the woman was Mary, the sister of Martha, Lazarus's sister. Many Mary brings in an alabaster jar, a very expensive ointment, and she breaks that jar open and pours that costly perfume oil on Jesus's head and she anoints his head with oil and, and and why she did that we don't know why certain we don't know with certainty some say it was an act of gratitude because she was thanking Jesus for her brother and some say it was anointing Jesus for the crucifixion that it would be offered on the altar of the cross others say it was a foreshadowing of the preparation in which she was anointing his body for death that as he come to Jerusalem a few days later. But everybody agrees for certain that it was a great act of love and kindness. The story doesn't end there. Let no good deed go unpunished. Some begin to criticize Mary for this beautiful thing. And the Gospel of John says that Judas uh, reprimanded her because he felt like it was a wasteful thing. And then Jesus reprimands Judas for being so stingy. Stingy is just being overly concerned about money, uh, sort of like Bette Midler's husband who wouldn't, who wouldn't pay. DeVito was thinking it was easier to replace a wife than a couple million dollars. That's a stingy thinking, a materialistic thinking. That, that is a, a Judas mindset. That's the way Judas thought. What a waste. Look what you could have done with all that money. You could have sold that and all that expensive perfume. And think how many poor people you could have fed. Uh, Judas didn't intend to do that. The fact was that the oil wasn't his to start with. Judas was probably surprised and taken aback when Jesus complimented Mary for doing such a thing. The point of the story is it's okay to be extravagant. That's Mary's mindset. If we live by a Judas mindset... There'd be no steeple on this church. There'd be no flowers on this altar. There would be no robes. There would be no fine instruments, no, no beautiful wedding. Your daughter would come and say, I want to go, I'm in love and I want to get married. And you'd say, what's well, a lot cheaper to elope? It is. It really is cheaper. <laughs> it's wasteful to have a wedding. But the Mary mindset says sometimes in the name of love and kindness and gratitude, it's okay to be extravagant. It's beautiful to be extravagant. Let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, it's okay to be extravagant in our generosity. That's what Mary was doing. A beautiful act of sacrificial generosity. Speaking of generosity, it's told of John Wesley that he lived on 10% and tithed 90% of his income to the church. He was extravagant in his generosity. He was one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. There's an, there's an old legendary story of Native Americans that lived in Mississippi and they lived on the banks of the river and right where it was swift and dangerous and they found themselves in battle one day and there was the, the enemy was before them and this, this raging river was behind them and they knew they were all going to perish, especially the children and the elderly. 
They knew that some of the strong, the strong people could probably make it across, but, but the weak couldn't. And so, so they decided for that each of the strong would, uh, would put an elderly person or a child on their backs to cross the river. Why not try something? They was all going to die anyway. They, the, the enemy was, was bearing down on them and they had to get across the river. But something amazing happened. The extra weight of the person on the shoulders of the other person allowed them to walk across the river. Their own extravagant generosity saved them. What they did was not the reasonable thing to do. It was just the right thing to do. The point is, if you're strong and comfortable and well-fed, you'll reach out in generosity to somebody around you that's in need. You'll be surprised. The life you save may very well be your own. In words and actions, Jesus taught us that it's okay to be extravagant in our generosity. Second, it's okay to be extravagant in our gratitude. Maybe that's why Mary did what she, she did, expressing her incredible thanksgiving to Jesus. Sometimes words just are not enough. Perhaps this extravagant act to say simply, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me, for calling my brother out of that tomb. I had a lady named Pauline Hendrick lived in Huntington, West Virginia many years ago, and she had diabetes and various related health problems and but she was one of the most upbeat people I'd ever met in my life. She had a radiance of gratitude about her all the time. She had raised three boys, that, and, and she could handle them. All three of those boys was big old strapping men, and, they, and she could handle every one of them, I promise you. And uh, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and, and she, she had ended up actually losing both of her legs, and it was obvious that her end was pretty near. I remember her walking in the church one day with, after her first leg was gone and, 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 and she had put a prosthetic on and she walked in with that leg and I said, Pauline, it's so good to see you. I just didn't, I didn't think you'd be able to be here today. And she told me, she said, Rick, I'm in a lot of pain. Whether I'm at the church or the house, I'd just soon be here. <laughs> she called me one day and said, we both know I'm not going to be here very long and I want you to do my funeral. And I I, want, I don't want no sad goodbyes. I want my funeral service to be full of joy and laughter. And her words were, I don't want no draggy songs. <laughs> Y'all know what a draggy song is? It's like you just want to shoot yourself before it gets over, right? <laughs> I want only fast beat, upbeat hymns in my service. Don't you make this a somber or sad occasion or I'll come back and haunt you. I've had a great life, and I am thankful for so many things, and we're going to concentrate on the things that God has done for me, and we're going to concentrate on those good things that God has put into my life. We picked out the hymns, and we put the order of service together, and she said, I have one more thing to ask of you to put a fork in my right hand. She told that story. Now that story's floated around for years and, I've, and I realize that now, but this has been 25 years ago and, and that story's floated around. Many of you have probably heard it, but at the time I hadn't heard it. It was new to me and I'd heard the story. She told that story said of the lady that put a fork in her hand in her casket and she described the countless potluck dinners that she had been to and, and she said when it come time for dessert, You'd hear somebody say, keep your fork. Keep the desserts coming. The best is yet to come. 
Pauline said, that was my favorite part of the meal. I knew something better was coming. She said, I love the fried chicken and mashed potatoes and I was grateful for it, but there's something way better on the way. And then she said, you tell that story at my funeral service. And I said, okay, let me ask you something. Do you have that kind of victorious spirit? Do you have that kind of deep faith? Do you have that kind of extravagant gratefulness for what God has done? If not, why not? Because Jesus has taught us to be extravagant with our gratitude. Thirdly, I think it's okay to be extravagant in our graciousness. Whatever is clear, whatever meaning scholars may attach to Mary's act of, of faithfulness and the precious oil. And it was an act without question of love and kindness and graciousness. I was reminded of a tragic story from the early 1930s. Right after the stock market had crashed, John Griffith moved his young family to the banks of the mighty Mississippi. He got a job raising and lowering a massive drawbridge over that river to, to allow ships to pass and trains to cross the river on given times. And, and uh, he took his eight-year-old boy in one summer with him to work on that summer day. And at noon, they, they were eating their lunch out in the little pasture, little field right beside the bridge. And they were eating and all at once, time had kind of gotten away from him. And he heard, a, he heard that train whistle in the distant future. And, and his heart began to beat fast. His, he told his son, now son, you sit right here. And he rushed up to the wheelhouse to let the drawbridge down. The train was so close. When he was prepared to push that massive lever to begin that, those massive gears and that huge bridge to drop down so the train could pass, he looked down. And his little son had tried to follow him and had fallen down into the massive gears. John began to scream with horror as he began to realize what he was faced with. 400 people would die on that train if he didn't drop that bridge. His son would certainly die for sure. There just wasn't time to pull his son to safety and let the bridge down. This was his only son. And he screamed in anguish dropping the bridge so the train could cross. The cries of his son were soon drowned out by the relentless sound of the massive wheels in that train passing by and moving forward with only seconds to spare. The Memphis Express with 400 passengers roared across that bridge. John Griffin lifted his tear-stained face, looked at the windows of the passing train. A businessman was reading his morning newspaper. A conductor was glancing nonchalantly at his large vest, vest watch. Ladies were sipping their afternoon tea. Small boy looked strangely like his son pushed a spoon into a big dipper of ice cream. Many of the passengers seemed to be engaged in conversation or careless laughter. Nobody even looked his way. Nobody even cast a glance at the giant gearbox that housed the, the, the remains of his mangled son. In anguish, he pounded the glass. Can't imagine going through something like that. He cried out, what's the matter with you people? Don't you know? Don't you care? Don't you know I've sacrificed my son for you? Don't you know what's wrong with you? Nobody heard, nobody listened, nobody even knew. Not one of them seemed to care. And as suddenly, as it, as it happened, as suddenly it was over, the train disappeared and moved into the horizon. 
You see, church, this morning, God and his great love has given extravagantly to you this morning. The difference is that was an accident that led to John's death. John, Jesus gave himself willingly for us. He marched to the cross willingly and gave himself for us. What a powerful story that Jesus gave the best he had. That God extravagantly gave his only son. God has empowered us to be extravagant in our generosity. Extravagant in our gratitude. And extravagant in our graciousness. May we live extravagant lives. In Jesus name. Amen.